Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Tammy Hoof who's a a writer originally from the United States but who has spent the past 25 years living in the UK and Germany. She has worked variously as a teacher, a copywriter and a translator and has had numerous short stories published in literary magazines. Well, she was also third place winner in the London Magazine Short Story Prize a couple of years ago. Tammy has also written her debut novel, A More Perfect Union, which will be published either later this year or early next year by Myriad Editions. It tells the story of Henry, who escapes the famine in Ireland in the mid-19th century and sails to America. He meets Sarah, a slave woman who's been torn from her family. And the novel is an exploration of identity, sacrifice, belonging, race and love. And it is also inspired by the true story of Tammy's great-great-grandparents. Tammy, welcome to the Read All About It podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Now, one of the things which I've been saying to, to some of the guests, and I, I know people always have this chat about the, the pros and cons of social media, but this is one of the, the times where I actually think it's a positive thing because things like Twitter can connect you and I via that kind of shared love of books and, and we end up being able to sit and talk for an hour about uh, some of your favourite books. Yeah, exactly. I think that I think with any new media like that, there's there are pros and cons, and definitely a pro is being able to connect with people from all over the place that you're physically not at all near to, but you have shared interests and shared you you link through your interests, and so that's actually very good. And it's been a nice thing about Twitter, and yeah, it is actually how we connected, isn't it? And also, uh, once we had kind of connected, and I have to say that when I, I was reading about your, your forthcoming novel, it really did catch my eye, even before the, the whole aspect of the fact it is the kind of true story based on your own family history. But just the, the story itself, I think, is absolutely, it certainly caught my eye, and I thought, I can't wait to read that. Oh, thank you. Thanks. No, I am very excited to get it out, either next year or potentially earlier. And the publishers are thinking about pulling it forward. So it will come out soon. And I am really excited about it. I think there is so much there is so much interesting history there. And as you say, when you have a personal connection to it, it's just that much more interesting. I'm not an obvious person to have a personal connection with Ireland. And there's so many people who come out of the woodworks who you don't know have connections with Ireland. Uh, that's been actually fun. You, for instance, if you're, you were saying that you have a connection as well, and that's really quite interesting. It's it, it, that also connects people, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know certainly a lot of people up in Glasgow in the west of Scotland. I'm, I'm sure they will be you'll be very interested in, in when that book comes out. So you certainly have to keep us posted on when you do get your publication date. Thank you. I definitely will let you know. In terms of the this podcast, and I always say to people, I'm I'm taking you on your the literary journey of your life. But one of the things that quite a lot of guests agonise over is when I'm trying to put them on the spot and and choosing a book for each of the five categories. And it's fair to say again that uh, this has been a tough one for you. Yes, yeah, I know. I, I I'm afraid I cheated. <laughs> I'm afraid I cheated. A book was just too hard. In many cases, I've chosen more than a single book, but um, it, it is, it's really very difficult to think about when you have to put it to a point like that, choose a book 
I'm afraid I'm afraid I've uh, <laughs> I've overstaffed. <laughs> yeah, some people do find it easier to choose a book or they'll think of one, but I I think as you say, you've chosen different books for different uh, categories. But it is so tough just to pin yourself down to commit to just those five books because how do you choose your favourite book? Yeah, exactly. I think it's also a changing thing. Something that's your favorite book, you know, one year isn't your favorite book the next year. Something else is your favorite book. And new books are written all the time. So something that's been an old favorite and you have loved it and loved it, um, it turns out that you read something new and you love that one. And, it, you know, it's these things change. These things do change. But there are definitely some books that you hold more dear than others. That is true. It's just that there are a number of those books. We'll go through a number of these in the, <laughs> the, the, the podcast. You so won't always... it, but I actually did try to keep the list live. I, I, I had a longer list of hers. I was like, no, 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 no. We've got to narrow this down. So <laughs> this, this really, I really did attempt this. <laughs> I also say that uh, I always get the easy job because I only have to ask the questions. I don't have to choose the book. So I can sympathize with you. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. In some ways, that is easier, asking the question. Now, in terms of the podcast, the first category I always ask people, it's your favourite book from childhood. And what what you chose was not so much a book, was uh, an author, and that was Judy Bloom. Yeah, Judy Bloom. She's an American author. Not really, I don't think she's very big over here. Again, this is some, my childhood is some years back, so she was very big when I was uh, when I was a kid. I think she's still around in the States, but not quite as big, I think. You know, um, other books have kind of taken precedence over her, but she was fun for me. She was fantastic in the early childhood years. She read many books about different subjects from, you know, younger sort of elementary school age um, sort of books. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing was just like a just like fun, happy books, but also that deal with things that children have to deal with. There was a big one, Blubber, that she wrote that deals with fat shaming, which is actually, you know, still a topic today. Um, but she wrote about it all those many, many years ago, and all all sorts of different things that that really speak to the angst and the the concerns of kids. Um, so they were entertaining, but they also uh, they also had a bit of a message and um, something to learn from and something to draw strength from as a kid. I did a podcast recently, and I was asking one of the guests, and again, it was in this category of childhood books, but the. Did you find when you were reading those books that the characters were maybe just slightly older than you? Because I think sometimes that's an appeal when you're a, a younger reader because you're reading about people who are maybe just two or three years ahead of you. And it's it's a, a kind of foretaste of, of what's going to be happening to you as you grow older. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think psychologically as a child, feeling as if you're associating with people older, I think as a kid, you just want to be grown up, right? You just want to be older. And if you're at least reading about the issues of older kids or older people, I think it it not only is, as you said, kind of a signpost of this is what's coming, but it, it feeds into that feeling of I am big, I am, you know, I'm handling my world well, and I'm going in the right direction, um, reading about older people and older issues. So yes, yeah, I definitely did that. I definitely found that uh, I would read books of characters um, who were just that little bit older. Than, than my reading age. That's interesting. I think you. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. It is. It is a. I don't want to say phenomenon. It's maybe not quite that extreme, but it is it's something that you quite often find that children gravitate towards characters who are older than they are. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, you know, Judy Bloom and, and her novels had, had a big impact on you, but did you, I guess, from, from when you, you learned to read, were you always just a, a voracious reader and just, you know, wanted to develop you know it? I was a voracious reader from young. Um, I did love reading and I read a whole bunch. But interestingly, thinking about it, I have, I actually have kids myself who have gone through all of that sort of kid reading stage and quite beyond. Until you asked the question, I, I hadn't thought about Judy Bloom in years. I thought about what did I read? And that's what I read. But I didn't reach for any of those books for my own kids, strangely enough. For my own kids, I reached for kind of the books that everybody here and their peers were reading and the things that they got. It's like the Roald Dolls. We were all into that. And the Michael Morpurgio and the Jacqueline Wilson books. That, that's what they read. Or even younger, they did all of the Rainbow Fairy, that sort of thing. The Horrible Histories, all these, all these books. And I, it never occurred to me <laughs> to go find a Judy Bloom book, strangely enough, even though I love them so much myself. So they may obviously they affected me deeply, but in that moment, <laughs> not deeply enough that I that I remembered, oh wait, they should read this book because it was so great when I was young. Because it's, it's interesting that because you know, like as a parent, quite often you want to, you know, as your kids reach certain ages, you want to then introduce them to the to the books that had an impact on you in that time. So quite often that happens that you're because you remember the experience that you had and you you want to kind of for them to to enjoy that as well yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and I don't know I don't know if that's a a side effect of having them raising them in a different country they grew up here in the UK and you know Judy Boom wasn't really a known author here um, and obviously their reading list was also a bit affected by their friends and their peers who were reading things. And, you know, you recommend books to to friends um, or just whatever you have at, the, at your at your school library, that sort of thing. I don't, and I don't know if they had been in the States, if that would have been different, if I would have been more reminded of her. But yeah. uh, she definitely mm-hmm. was great. And I and I and now that you reminded me to remember her. I will definitely, you know, be recommending it to any other kids I come across. Unfortunately, mine are past that age now. One of the one of the previous guests on the podcast, a girl called Alison McConnell, and she, I think Judy Bloom was, she had read those books here in, in Scotland when she was younger. Maybe she wasn't quite as big as she was in, in the States, but certainly I think, you know, a lot of people would have read them when she was, when they were younger, I think. That's that's good to know. That's maybe it's also probably just t- timing. You know that it's at different times, different authors are active and are writing, and you know there's that excitement of the new book by. Um, I mean, we, we, when the Harry Potter thing, it was like everybody had to be reading Harry Potter. Um, and even though I think people will still read it for many years to come, I don't know if you will get that kind of fervor going on later that that existed back when. Every year there was a new one coming out and there was that whole anticipation for the new book. So maybe it also has something to do with who, which writers are writing currently um, and the new book coming out, which is actually, which is, you know, it's a good thing. You don't want, I suppose you never want reading to be a stagnant thing or for new writers to feel as if they don't have a space um, to come out with something new that, you know, the bookshelves are full of all these old writers who are, who been around for decades yeah I suppose that's a good thing that they're that that my own kids are reading other writers new writers living writers (laughs) I suppose the other thing is you know the other side of the coin of parents sometimes want to recommend books that they enjoyed as children as as children as young readers you want to discover your own 
authors you want to discover your own kind of reading path and your own reading identity so that's why whether it's a jk Rowling or someone else will suddenly be the, the most popular because each new generation wants to discover their own thing yeah i think I, yeah i think you're right i think there is a lot to that i think there is um kind of the zeitgeist of the moment and and the new generation of readers will have a new either type of writing or new new type of book that's most interesting to them um and yeah and, and that's probably a good thing you know it's every every generation gets to have their stamp which is probably correct well we are on to the second question in the podcast and that's taking you on from childhood and it's more you know books that either as a, a teenager or a student, uh, those kind of formative years. And this is this is where the choice gets quite hard for you. So <laughs> yeah. The first one was actually a novella you chose, which is uh, Anthem by Ayn Rand. If that, I'm not sure if that's the, right, the correct pronunciation. Yeah, Ayn Rand, I think, yeah. Yes, it was. It was, uh, it was a good one. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I, I came across that. I don't know when I came here in in those years, in those formative years. And it really, it's just a short, it's a small book. It's a novella, as you say, but it just really blew me away. I think at that point I hadn't read things like 1984. Um, and so this book was the first kind of book like that, I would say. It was, it was this dystopian world where everything was, kind of not as it should be and it it was very critical of, of communism and collectivism and it very much celebrated the individual and it was this story that was more than a story is a story that also was like a cautionary tale against this political system it was trying to say more than it was saying the story was it was itself the story and was something more and that was for me at that point in my life that the idea that a story could work so hard and be more than it was, um, more than just the story was really, really exciting to me. And how would you, how would you have stumbled upon that book? How did, how did you come to find it? I know I didn't read it for school or anything like that. It was just one of those random reads. It might've been like a librarian or something like that who recommended it to me. I know it was recommended to me by someone. I feel as if it was somebody who would have known this book because it was a little bit more obscure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was recommended to me and it just really, I I loved it from the moment from the moment I started reading it. Is that as well a, a book that you've at any point gone back and read again to see you know whether you still enjoy it or whether you have a different perspective on it? Now you know obviously as you're reading it older than than when you first read it. I read it again maybe fifteen years ago, so a while back, but still as an adult as opposed to when I originally read it. It still, I found, was a very strong book. It still is. Although the punch would be less because at that point then I did know that Orwell existed and that others existed. And um, I had read also some of her and Rand's other work. What the book was doing had been done elsewhere. Um, and so it wasn't, the effect wasn't as strong on me as um, as it was originally. But it's still, even even coming to it later it's still a very strong book it's very well done and really she sort of you know pulls no punches as far as showing what she you you very much know what the author thinks about the society that she's writing about but she does it in a way that it's obvious but not heavy-handed yeah she, it is a very nice a very nice way of writing about it and she has very you know when you read it and you know she has obviously very strong opinions on 
kind of communism, collectivism, and the dangers of that and the downfalls of suppressing the individual. And I think also if you read this as a teenager, you know, it's all about, <laughs> as a teenager, you're kind of trying to find your voice and trying to find yourself and who you are and all of these things. And the individual as a teenager, as a youth is very important to you, right? You're sort of becoming you, your own self apart from your family and apart from your friends and what have you. You're trying to figure out who you are. I think also probably that's why it affected me so much at that time. A book celebrating the individual really spoke to me in that moment. Now, in terms of this category, there was also uh, one of the other books that you had said to me was The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. That book, I know, I remember that book was definitely, I came to that through school. It was was one of those required text things. But I read it and I absolutely fell in love with that book. Again, an American writer who was writing about America, sort of colonial times, colonial Massachusetts, I think it was. I think it stuck with me so strongly because it dealt with kind of the hypocrisy of so much of this legalistic, puritanistic life that was going on at the time and that carries over really into much of America even now. You have yeah areas where, where you definitely feel the residue of these many years of sort of of, of valuing puritanistic life. This book really was very critical of that. And it really put it in, put it in perspective as far as this, this character who had basically engaged in adultery. So that's the scarlet letter, the A for adultery, but it, it neglected to talk about the fact that, you know, she is engaged in adultery, obviously not alone. She is entirely punished and she's, you know, and, and the man is not, and it's sort of, it's protected. And it also, for me, I don't think of it as a feminist book, but at that time, I think I saw it a little bit as a feminist book because it was kind of this this woman taking the entire blame for something that she is only partly uh, culpable of, this, this going against the rules of the society as far as, you know, the, the adultery rules of society. Yeah, it was it was really interesting and affected me quite a lot to think about also the individual and the needs of the individual versus what the society expects of you and how not all rules apply equally to all people. When I was just doing a wee bit of research on it, I think it was 1850, it was published and it's I think it was one of the first mass produced books or, or novels in, in the States, but probably the what he was writing about, you know, would still have been seen in, in 20th century and maybe even 21st century, that kind of judgmental yeah. society or community mm-hmm. but how it judges women on a com- completely different standard to men you know when, it, when it's involved with the same subject to the same issue exactly she it was very much um a, a shaming but this this whole this whole group guilt thing also is so interesting to me this idea that we as a society have decided that you individual woman has sinned and we as a society have decided that we will punish you collectively like this that also is really interesting because thinking about the the, the power of the individual and allowing an individual to choose her or his own life and own path without society can inside his condemnation of you must do this and you may not do that 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 was really interesting and then as you say yes the fact that she alone was wearing the a and protecting the man um and also this the, the lack of condemnation of the man in the whole thing yeah that that's stuck with me really did and and again it's that formative age isn't it it's really interesting the things that the things that you read in those 
early, well, not better, in the teenage youthful years really do make it, it makes a difference. It, it really does affect you. The third book that you had mentioned for this particular category, and it's a book by Toni Morrison, Beloved. That one I read at university when I read that, and it was it had just come out, and I was just discovering Toni Morrison as an author, and I was really I was blown away with her writing. First of all, she writes amazingly. She's one of those writers that just has such a an incredible command of words that you just sort of think, wow. <laughs> um, and then also the story blew me away. At that point, I had, I mean, I had a very sort of traditional education. And at that point, I hadn't read much on slavery or so. I mean, I mean, obviously, I knew about slavery, but I hadn't read much on it as far as slave narratives or that sort of thing. The character has come from slavery. So she's no longer a slave, but she has come from slavery. And so when you, when she goes back into kind of remembering those moments that the main character or various other characters go back to remembering those moments and those times. It's sort of, oof, it's very, you know, it's chilling because it was horrific. Um, and also it was a really different sort of story for me because it's kind of a ghost story, which isn't, I wouldn't normally go for kind of a paranormal story, but I read this one and it was absolutely amazing. And I still don't normally go for paranormal stories, but this was absolutely amazing the way that she did it. She dealt with the ghost of this of this main character and she sort of weaved her into the story and it and it kind of, you know, again, the ghost is more than just the ghost. She represents this whole trauma and the the things that these people went through and that she, the main character, went through and dealt with. Um, and it kind of how your mind has changed. So that I think I, I think I'll I, I can give enough of a spoiler alert to say that the main character um, has wound up in trying to escape and, and was found by the master. She went she tried to kill her children so to keep them from being recaptured and brought back into slavery. And she succeeded only in killing one of her children, the beloved, who the story is named for. And this beloved comes back and haunts the house violently, like thrashing things around so that her other, you know, her sons leave because they just can't handle it. Um, and she feels this guilt to kind of stick with the house and stick with the ghost because she killed the ghost and it's that mother's guilt you know, a hateful, it wasn't meant to be a hateful act. It was meant to be a loving act because she was protecting her from something worse. And it's just very, very, there's so many layers in that story. It's very, very deep and very rich. I was a bit older than when I read the other two. And I think you need to be a little bit older to read that one, just because there is so much there. Um, and also so much that's difficult to read. I mean, you mentioned when you were talking about that book, about the, the quality of the writing, how beautifully she writes and I remember, again, doing some research on Toni Morrison before, and she I hadn't realised that she had been a, a fiction editor at Random House in New York, I think prior to, you know, really establishing herself as a, as a novelist. And at the time, she was the first black female editor in, of fiction in the publishing house. And you can see that, obviously, she's brought those skills to her own writing as well in terms of the kind of precision of it. I, I can well believe it. I actually didn't know that. That's news to me. Thank you for that. I didn't know that. Um, but when you say that, I can see, yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense that she's sort of, because you do definitely feel like this woman knows what she's doing. Um, you definitely feel as if it's not someone who's sort of finding her way through writing it. It's someone who is very comfortable with managing and manipulating words. And, uh, and it would make sense that she, you know, had a career as an editor managing and manipulating other people's words and improving them. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense.
Well, you are listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddy, and my guest, Tammy Hoof. And Tammy, we're on to the next category, and that is a book that you'd recommend to anyone. And the first of these ones is uh, what you mentioned earlier on about George Orwell, but it's Animal Farm by George Orwell. It's so hard to think, I remember I keep complaining about the same thing, but it is so hard to think about a book that you would recommend to anyone because everybody is so different. Everybody kind of has different interests and, you know, normally you would sort of tailor your recommendation based on who you have in front of you. So it, it's it's tricky to think about, okay, what is broad based enough that you think that it really, you could recommend it to um, to anyone. And I do think Animal Farm is such a book because, first of all, it's a fantastic book. It's just a really amazing book. Again, it's it's kind of like this this whole anthem thing, and Ran thing, where you have that you have a book that's about more than what it's about. I mean, it's so cleverly written as far as the animals and the farm, the pigs, and all the all the rest of it. But um, but also that all of that represents something else, you know, representing you know, the, the the whole Russian Revolution, and all of it is then a stark criticism of communism and this collective again this idea of this collectivism that really isn't it's not an all for one thing at the end of the day um, and that how how we degrade this wonderful ideal of oh we're all in it together and we'll all stick up for each other equally and we'll all just be you know so wonderful um, as a community fending for each other and sticking up for each other and in actual point of fact people don't function like that or in this case animals <laughs> aren't like that and don't function like that and it's just so brilliantly done this book I've, I've read it a couple of times and i always enjoy it the other book that you would or one of the other books you would recommend is the god of small things by arundhati roy i do love that book i absolutely love that book i read it when it first came out uh somewhere in the 90s i think it came out like late 90s I think it was nominated or it won the Booker Prize in '97. So okay, well there you go. Yeah, then then um, I read it then. I I read it when it won the Booker Prize, and then I read it. I read it again a few times, and I just it's really um, she has such mastery of words. Again, really just an amazing writer. The way that she crafts her words, um, and then the story itself is just it's incredible. It's you know talking about it's set in India and follows these two twins, these fraternal twins. Um, but the things that she observes and the way that she the way that she then talks about that is just really it's very delicate but strong book. I um, I would say you know this whole idea the god of small things. I mean it's talking about how all of these big things are just seemingly out of the control of these twins in India and that they they're sort of their only hope left is small things. And if there is a God of small things to sort of help and fix things that, that could make a difference. And I think that speaks to the experience of so many people who, you know, you oftentimes when you, you have a, you have a situation where you're not necessarily prospering, you know, it, it can feel as if things are, out of control as far as affecting big changes um, and then you look to the small changes and I think I think there's it's so such a specific book but I think some of these ideas are actually so universal to so many different cultures um, and so many different people um, that it just even though it really it's based in this you know small place in India it feels for me as if it's a global book that really almost anybody could relate to. I'm not sure if you'll be the same as me. I've got like countless books in the house that are on a, a list of books to read. And that is one of them because I had started 
last year I started a, a kind of reading project myself where I wanted to basically read through all the Booker Prize winners. And the problem is that since I've started the podcast, I've been kind of sidetracked because every time I interview someone, I end up with another two or three book <laughs> recommendations. So I have to read them and then it'll be the same after today. I'll have to go and read something yeah. uh, that you've recommended. And, and so I'll get I'll get to it eventually. Uh, yes, definitely get to it eventually. I know I'm exactly the same. I, it's, at some point, somebody has made the comment, you know what, I think the hobby of buying books is not the same as the hobby of reading books because you're so, such a prolific book buyer. And then by the time I get through them, I wish I could I wish I could read as fast as I can buy it, <laughs> but that doesn't happen. So yeah, it, similar to you, I have I have shelves of books that I that I'm getting to. But that's a good thing. Then you have so much to yeah, still yeah. look forward to, you know, that's you never you are never at a loss. And as you say, you're absolutely right. I, probably you more than most. You always hear about new books and you think, oh, my gosh, that sounds fantastic. I absolutely want to read that. And then and there you go. Another book for your to be read list. <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's never ending. And I think I, I think what you said there will probably resonate with just about everybody that's listening that, that reads books, because there, there is a joy in, in buying books as well. And that anticipation that it might take a while before you eventually get around to it. I've, I took, so I've, I've had similar to you because my stack is my, the bookshelf doesn't grow as the stack of books grows. Right. So yeah. I, um, I for, for a long time, I said, right, I'm going to buy Kindle. Just I, I got a Kindle and I thought I'm just going to buy Kindles for a while. Electronic books, not get so many physical books. And that worked for a while. I absolutely forbade myself to buy physical books. Um, but now I just buy both. <laughs> now I buy Kindle books. I buy physical books. So yeah, it's it is what it is. This is you know everybody has their their weakness, and and that is mine. The the other book that you that you had mentioned that you wanted to recommend was The Help by Catherine Stockett. It's a, a more recent one, and it was I think it just really affected me because it was so it's told in these. This, perspective of these three different characters and um, it's quite interesting when you look at how these three different characters are looking at a situation and you know that some of the other characters see this differently it was really really interesting uh, I think there hadn't at that point especially there hadn't been that many books that talk that look at life from the perspective of the help especially in the southern united states especially in african-american maids basically is, is what two of the three point of view characters are and then the third is this white woman who is kind of in the uh, employer class instead of the employee class but who has an understanding of the plight of these women and they sort of plot together to kind of expose what's going on you'd look at her situation, the the woman who's writing about this, the white uh, employer type person, and she, her struggle is then as a woman. So she has a she has a similar struggle in sort of breaking out of society's restraints and what is expected of her, and being able to become a journalist, which is what she wants to do, and having that not be valued within her society, and having you know kind of these old looks and etiquette and these things being valued. Um, and how that's not at all her. Um, and then also that juxtaposing to the even greater struggle of these two African-American women who she champions, who help her to to write the story and expose these stories, who are fighting against society's things, but also this kind of oppressive society that they um, are dealing with and that they, they kind of have to just sort of grin and bear it. It was a, it was a very good book. 
kind of remains an, an important book to kind of remember and 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 to uh, to see life from these different points of view. Because obviously a lot of people will be familiar with it with the from the film that we came out more recently. But you know, from a from a writer's point of view, what what encouraged me when I was when I was just reading about it was. I think when she'd first written it, it took her about five years to write. And then over a period of three years, I think she was rejected by something yeah. like 60 agents, eventually manages to get an agent, get a publisher. And she's now sold over seven million copies of that book. And I always think for for any writer, then that that's always that. You, you have to keep that encouragement because all you need is for one person just to say yes. And if it's the right yeah. person, then who knows where your book's going to lead. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's always encouraging as writers. You're right to, to hear, you know, sometimes it does work out that way. You hear that too, that somebody sells it immediately. And, you know, there's this whole bidding war that goes on, what have you. That's certainly not the norm. And it's great to hear about stories of perseverance like that, because goodness me, to send it out and out and out and out and get rejected over and over again and just keep, you know, keep at it. Well done her. And it really, it is a great book and it just shows you how subjective it all is the whole publishing industry and the decision of who gets taken on and who gets published because yeah as you say it it's done amazingly well and obviously you know any of any of those others will probably be kicking themselves to not have to not have taken such a such an exceedingly good selling book and then also the movie deal you know that's also yeah, that's like the holy grail. <laughs> to Absolutely, have yeah. In fact, it then gets picked up for a Hollywood film. That you know, obviously, that is that's fantastic, and probably will have increased her readership for people who see the movie and then want to go and and pick up the book as well. So yeah, no, she's done fantastically well, and it is an encouragement to remember. It also happens like this. The other question I was I was going to ask you about the help and what it reminded me of a bit, not in terms of the novel, but just as as a as a white woman writing about the experience of African American women, it, it reminded me of you know there was controversy recently with that the book American Dirt that came out. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey chosen it as a book of the month, and then there was a whole lot of controversy surrounding surrounding that book and the subject matter and the author. And does that important or, or, or did Catherine stock it? Was she able to skirt that controversy but because of the, the kind of way that she wrote the book? I think it helped in that she wrote it from three uh, point of views. And one of the point of views was a white woman. And she, as you say, is a white woman. Um, and so it was also the story from that perspective. I think she didn't try to just write the story of African-American women as a non-African-American woman. I have to admit, I have not yet read American Dirt, but as I understand it, that yeah, it's from the point of view of a Mexican woman when the writer isn't at all a Mexican woman. Um, but I think, yes, for the help, it definitely it definitely helps that the white woman is one of the main point of view characters. I think there is definitely in publishing a lot of room for more books from from the perspective of underrepresented groups written by people of underrepresented groups. I think I think the publishing industry is becoming aware that they have been remiss as far as seeking out those titles or being open to, pub, not even seeking out, but just really being open to publishing those titles. Because as you say, you know, she had to fly it to 60 different people until she found a yes. And I'm sure there will be, there will be other books other books by of, of that vein that would be flogged even more, you know, before before um, someone says yes. So I think um, I personally don't have a problem with her representing voices that are not her own because she also represents 
her own voice. It's not like she's, I don't feel as if it's like she's trying to take over the voices of, of someone else, but she's trying to, you know, speak from a broader perspective, kind of in the yeah. way that if any of us write a book and we have a character who is not from our background, I think, I think as writers, we can't be, you know, we can't, we can't not allow ourselves to write characters who are not from our background. I read American Duck, so I'm, I'm just reading that as, as a, a novel. You know, I couldn't comment on the from perspective of people who would criticise it because I, I wouldn't come from that kind of community or that background or that ethnicity. So I just read it simply as a novel, but, but being aware of the controversy surrounding it and then read a few articles of people and why they were criticising it and, and, and some of the valid criticisms that they might have had about it. So it was quite interesting to have read the novel and then, and then look at how people were, were judging it. I, I, as I say, I haven't, I've read a lot of the criticism um, and I haven't yet read the novel. And I suppose, and I, I, I obviously, I do need to read it to sort of be able to speak intelligently on it. But it is, I suppose, the fact is that she is who she is and wrote it. Um, I think I, if I'm right, I think part of the criticism was also that there are um, Mexican writers writing in that space and that potentially she took the yeah. place or a publisher gave mm. her that spot when they could have given it to a more authentic voice. I, I think that was part of the criticism as well. You know, as well as I, how difficult it is to, you know, get a publisher to say, yes, I want to invest in publishing your book. I, don't, I suppose I don't really think about it as if book A publishes, then that pushes out book B. Um, I think about it as let's bring all of these books forward. But I suppose from a purely economic standpoint of a publishing house, I suppose it is a little bit like that. And and that that kind of is the criticism that I was hearing about it. Well, we have gone from books that you would recommend to anyone to a book that you couldn't be paid to read again. And <laughs> you had one one book and one choice for this one. And that's uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. I, yeah, no, thank you. I, do you know what? Here's the thing. I have to, I have to be completely on. I mean, I know everybody who's in books knows this is, it's supposed to be a fantastic book and it's this amazing work of literature and it's, you know, it's kind of a, a must read literary masterpiece. And I, you know, I accept that that might be true, but for me, it's just so difficult to get to get through it. I find it so, so hard, <laughs> so hard to read. And I've got to admit, I've, I never completely finished the book. So many times I used to pick it up and I think, right, I am going to finish this now. And I and I don't and I haven't. And I still to this day have not read it all the way through. And that is a huge critique on my part. I probably should be a better you know, student of literature, but I am not. I have to confess that I have never read it. I have a copy of it and when I left, I, I was working in a newspaper back in 1994, September 94, and I moved to a different newspaper and one of the girls that I worked with, she bought me a copy of Ulysses as a leaving present. So I looked it out. So it's actually September 1994. I've still never got around still to Still on the to be red pile. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I keep, you know, I think it's one of those books and I've done it a couple of times in holiday recently where I've taken, you know, bigger books, books that might maybe intimidate me if I'm just reading them at home and it might take me a bit longer. So, you know, for example, I, I took Don Quixote with me in holiday in January and was able to spend a bit of time reading that. And last year I read Doc's Newburyport, the, the book that yeah, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. Again, I took that in holiday because I was able to concentrate and spend some time so that's at some point i will take ulysses and holiday and and try and read through it but i'll now try and i'll now know i will read through it with your voice ringing in my ears saying don't finish it <laughs>
I tried, tried. I think that's good. I think it's. I think there is there is a lot of value to just reading something that's hard to read. Because also, if you think about it, okay, so it's hard for me to read. For somebody else, maybe not. But then there are other books. I'm I'm, I'm reminded of. I'm in this uh, a book group of just local people, people who live close to me, um, and we. It turns out have very disparate. Uh, taste in books and so everybody will recommend something and we'll read something and and some of the books that we've read we've read for instance the milkman which i absolutely loved absolutely loved and nobody else in this book group liked that book and i just it was incomprehensible to me how could you it's a fantastic book and i was like how could you possibly not like milkman and my objections about ulysses is what some of these people were saying to me about milkman that it was difficult to read and you know there was too much hard work and I thought no 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 but it's just such an excellent book and if you just put a little bit of effort into it you it's so rewarding you get so much out of it another one was girl woman other we read in that group and the same reaction um as with milkman they came back saying that oh this was hard to read and oh I don't like this because it's too difficult and so that that actually got me thinking about this whole Ulysses thing again and thinking okay perhaps there is much richness here and I'm being like my my neighbors who won't read excellent modern literature because it's too hard or it's not you know they would just want a beach read or something so so yeah so maybe maybe even though I put it down as the one that I won't read maybe I will I'll be inspired by your example I'll try it on holidays, see if that works any better. The only thing is, I mean, what, I don't, what kind of reader are you, are you in terms of if you start a book, do you, do you feel a kind of certain obligation to finish it? Or, or if, if it's something that you're just not enjoying, you just put it down because, as you said, you said earlier on, you've got this whole list of books that, you, that are waiting there to be read for you. Yeah, I usually try to finish. I usually feel as if it's very rare that I would not finish a book. And quite often what happens is instead of consciously not finishing the book, it's taking a long time and I see another book that looks interesting and I think, oh, let me just read this. I'll just take a little break and I'll just read this because I also sometimes have, well, usually have more than one book going on. I've got, I'm reading a physical book and then I'm reading a Kindle book and then I, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll take a break keep taking a break and then I'll have breaks for so long that I've essentially I've put the book down. But then I usually will go back to it, except for in the case of Ulysses, where I really have just not, I don't know, do you do you usually try to finish books? I'm now at that stage where if I'm not enjoying the book or if I'm just, you know, I'm really kind of stuck in it, I'll put it away. I'll generally give a book at least two or three goes. So if, if I don't if I don't manage to get through it the first time, I'll put it away and then I'll try again and then I'll try again. Because I'm, I'm just at the point almost of having finished War and Peace. And I, yeah. I tried reading it a few years ago and I'd kind of get into it. I got about five, six hundred pages into it. And then we went on holiday and I just... I thought, I don't want to be that guy sitting around the pool, sitting, reading War and Peace. <laughs> so I left it, but then I, I kind of lost the momentum of it. So I, I picked it up just at, almost at the start of the lockdown, and I'm almost at the, the very end of it now. And I kind of, you know, that way I kind of know I'm, I'm always going to give a cheer when I finish and, I, and pat myself on the back for having managed to finish it. Having managed it. Well done. Very good. One thing that I, you mentioned um, that you read Don Quixote recently. One thing that I, 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 that's another one. I had tried to read that. And I thought, oh, this is dragging a bit. Um, and what I wound up doing is listening to it, listening to um, a, a recording of it, which for me, I think that helped just because I don't know. I, you know, when you're out, I have a dog and I spend a lot of time walking my dog and then I've got that in my ear. I don't know. For me, that helped with, with books like that, that I feel like, 
oh, I need to push through. Um, so maybe I maybe I need to do that one with with Ulysses and with some others. Um, but I know for for Don Quixote that for me there was a bit of a it, it got a bit draggy and the and the and listening to it helped quite a bit. You mentioned and you've spoke about the fact that you you kind of split your reading between. Uh, the physical book and books and, and Kindle, which kind of takes us nicely on to the, the last question, which is the last book you read or the book you, you're currently reading and you've chosen one physical book and one Kindle book. Yes, to keep up with my tradition of being entirely <laughs> indecisive. <laughs> Why stop now? The Kindle book is My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Yeah, yeah, it's really very good, very dark. <laughs> As I guess the name would suggest, it's it's a it's a really interesting book. Uh, it's about this woman who, when she was a teenager, had this relationship, sexual relationship, with her teacher, um, and hadn't seen it as sexual abuse, but as some great romance. And then only later in her adult years is now reflecting back on it because other stuff has come out. And I haven't actually finished. I'm almost finished. I'm not entirely finished. So I can't um, spoil it for anybody because I haven't read to the to the very end. But it is very good. It's very disturbing. But in a way that I think good, you know, fiction should. Fiction is a chance for you to embrace a world that you normally wouldn't have anything to do with. And when that world is disturbing, you know, it's, I live, I, you know, my world is very safe, very, very safe and easygoing. And so it is quite, quite good to be able to use fiction to kind of enter these worlds and to enter these mindsets of these people who are just so very, very different. Um, yeah, very disturbing, um, but very good. And do, do you find, just in terms of that contrast between the Kindle and the physical book, is it a different experience of reading because you're, you're reading it on the tablet? I do, yeah. I, you know what? I, I still actually prefer physical books. I now usually read Kindles uh, before I go to bed so that the light doesn't bug my husband when we go to bed. And <laughs> to keep the peace, it's better actually <laughs> with a Kindle. But if I had a choice and if I had infinite space to store books, then I would definitely prefer to always have the physical book. I, I do. There's something about the actual turning of the page and the physicality and the tracking. And, and sometimes I do, you know, like to go back or you savor a phrase or I don't know. I, I, I really like the physical books. I usually just use a Kindle if I'm on holiday, just because it means allows me to take more books on holiday. But I, I always prefer the the physical book. And in terms of the the physical book that you're reading just now, it's the it's the Parable of the Sword by Octavia Butler. Yeah, that's one I just recently started. Um, it's very good. It's actually it's actually really really good pandemic reading it for the for the situation that we find ourselves in. It's like this. It is a bit of a dystopia thing where the society has broken down. You know, everything is falling apart and people are starting to, you can't really, really rely on government. You can't really rely on the, on the police or the fire. Every sort of, it's every man for himself or herself. Um, and they've developed this community where they try to help each other. But that as, as things get worse, even that kind of falls apart and then they're really on their own and have to go and, and find, you know, a way to live in this deteriorating world. In some in some points, it's we're not that far, obviously, but in some points, it does hit a bit close to home. When you think it, it talks about the climate disaster and how you know water is so precious, and it talks about the failing government, and we have a lot of that to go around. There are a lot of things that, especially now, as we're all 
basically in this strange situation of COVID-19 and, you know, worldwide protests and, and, and everything that we're got, we've got going on at the moment. Unfortunately, it hits a little too close to home, but, it, but, but that makes it actually more interesting to read. I'm usually just a, a one book at a time person, but, you, you know, you're able to, to split between the two books. Is that something you've always done? I suppose it probably started in school, as you say, because I there would always be sort of whatever you're supposed to be reading, and then there would always be what I was choosing to read. Um, and so I guess that sort of splitting between the two is something that, yeah, something that I did do. And then, and then obviously with you know my preference of reading the physical book, so I would read that during daylight hours, and then and then reading the Kindle at, uh, in bed. I think the stories have to be quite different. I think if the if the stories are too similar, uh, I wouldn't read. I wouldn't read, for instance, um, two books of the same author together or two books of quite a similar theme together because I think that would I would probably get that muddled. I would get the storylines muddled um, in my head a bit too much. But if they are quite different to each other, then um, then yeah, I do enjoy that. When I was saying to you, I'm reading War and Peace. This is the, probably the first time where I've, I've kind of concentrated on reading that during the day. And then at night, I'll, I'll read, I've read like either books of essays or short stories or some non-fiction books for that yeah, exact yeah. same reason that it's completely different from what else I'm reading. So I'm able to, my mind's able to switch from one to the other. So but, yeah. and it's not something I've really done before. Oh, interesting. But you find it's okay. You find you can switch back and forth, right? Yeah, I found it. I found it absolutely fine. So, which has been good because otherwise, you know, sometimes if you if you stick on the one book for so long, you kind of get bogged down. Then you start to feel guilty because there's all these other books to read. So, I've, it's, it's been, I've, I've <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of yeah, yeah, especially if it's War and Peace that you're reading. That's you know, that's not a weekend read. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, we're almost, Tammy, getting to the end of the podcast. But one thing I just just wanted to kind of touch on again was, you know, I mentioned right at the very start the introduction about your debut novel. A more perfect union. The fact that they, you know the kind of synopsis of it really caught my eye. But the very fact that it's a story, it's a story that's you know it's part of your family that that's there that, that you've then been able to develop into this novel. That must have did that that enhance the whole experience of writing the story. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's why I wanted to write the story. The idea of this um, Irish immigrant and the slave woman falling in love at that time in that place. It just, I think for me, it just seems like when you think about life now and how, you know, how it can be difficult now and, and certainly a hundred years ago, it was difficult. And then to go back that far into the, t- into that time where it was not just difficult or socially frowned upon, it was actually illegal. It was actually dangerous. You know, I just think about how much those two people must have loved each other to actually go through what they had to go through. And so the fact that it happened and that fact that it happened to my ancestors certainly was a great motivation to um, to want to explore that further. And obviously, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a, a, a historical representation of their life. It is a fiction novel, um, but it's def- it's based and rooted on that core of their relationship in this really, really bizarre set of circumstances of, as, as far as coming as far as being able to come together and despite the odds really despite the odds in this case because it must be i'm guessing that then even for for obviously for you writing the novel but then for like your your kids to as you say although it's a, it's a story of fiction it's rooted in in truth and in their the story of their family roots as well and that must be that'll be nice for them to read that yeah oh absolutely yeah they're definitely definitely interested in, and excited about it and i think also I think that um, we as just people, as a society, are becoming more and more interested in our roots and in where we come from and our history, the whole 
ancestry.com and chasing, you know, tra- tracing your lineage and finding out all of these things about where you came from is something that's really interesting to all of us at the moment. I think it hasn't necessarily been so interesting for past generations, but for us, yeah, it's something that we're very interested in. And I think the more that you get in touch with where you have been, I think you can, and and who your ancestors have been and where you've come from, I think it, I think it does help you understand who you are today um, much, much more. And so, yeah, so I think it, for, for my family, certainly, definitely um, interested in, in, in learning about it. I was interested in learning about it and learning learning more about also how what life was like at that time. So it's one thing to know the story, oh, came from Ireland, or oh, was once a slave. But then once you start looking into that and you look into, oh, what, what did that actually mean? We say Irish famine. Everybody knows there was an Irish famine. But to look into what did that actually mean for the people living there, that the famine... You know, it wasn't just a famine. It was famine. It was the crops failing after failing year after year. And and then the politics behind it and, and all these all these things that come together that that I mean, I personally was never taught that in school. And I hadn't looked into the history of it myself thoroughly until doing the research for this book. And similarly with the, the slave situation, you know, of course, there were slaves, you know, of course, that this happened. But then to look into it thoroughly and to see, oh, my goodness, this is what that would have looked like. This is this. These are some of the things and the implications of all of these things. That was entirely fascinating. And I think it's important to I think it's important to know these things when that is a part of, you know, your history and where you've come from. Again, you you touched on it earlier on. As a writer, you know, you know how difficult it is you know, to try and get an agent to get a publisher. So. I'm guessing you must, you know, there must be a real level of excitement that all that hard work that you put in all the research, all the, the writing is going to come to fruition with, with your debut novel. Absolutely. Yes, there is a lot of excitement for me. My, my, my family is very much cheering me on in the background. Um, yeah, as you say, as you know, it's not easy to get a publishing deal. And, um, and so I am thrilled to pieces. I'm, and really very grateful that um, Myriad has been such a, a fantastic partner in this, just really so, so positive, um, so encouraging, just really cheering me on every step of the way. Uh, it's just been such a delightful experience, which you don't necessarily expect it to be. You know, it, it, I mean, it, at the end of the day, for a publisher, this is a business um, and they, you know, they need to treat it as a business. But for me, they have made it a really, really enjoyable experience. So I'm, I'm so, so grateful to them for that. And and as we were talking about earlier with the help and Catherine Stockett, you know, you, you send this out, it's very subjective. 60 people will say, no, 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 I don't like this book at all. And then one person says, yes, I love the book and really love it. And if you have somebody who really loves your book, and I think, I feel for Myriad that they really love it. Um, you feel as if that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be really behind you and alongside you pushing the book forward and doing everything that they can do for it and for you so that's exciting for me as well excellent and as I, and i've said to you before I, I just i think the story sounds incredible so I, I really i can't wait to add it to my to be to be read list <laughs> fantastic fantastic well i i will let you know how i get on with yours and you'll let me know how you get on with mine how's that <laughs> we just why don't we just decide just now we'll just say nice things about each other's books <laughs> That sounds good. (laughs) 
Well, sadly, we are we are almost out of time for the podcast. If anybody wants to find out and check out Tammy's book selections, you go to my website, www.paulcuddehy.com. Every guest on the podcast has their own page, but I've just listed all the book choices under each of the categories. I think it's fair to say, Tammy, you have given people plenty of book recommendations today, including me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We need to keep each other in reading, right? Keep each other in books. But it's been a real a real joy. I've really enjoyed chatting to you about books. Thanks very much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really been a delight. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate being here. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast. And I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.